was just thinking, you know, pa- Pastor Lynn does an amazing work around here, and I was just thinking, we've known each other for almost 20 years. We've served together, and that's crazy. We met, like, when we were three years old or something like that. That's... Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, you might want to grab your notes out of your handout right now if you'd like to follow along. Again, we're going to be in 1 Samuel today. If you have your Bibles, please feel free to open those. Uh, the, the scripture will be on your notes. It'll be on the screen as well. We're continuing a series called Like a King. The spotlight is on the person of David. And what we're doing, remember, we're not just trying to educate ourselves about what happened 3,000 years ago just for the sake of information. What we want to do is look at how it is that David lived his life, this man who's known as the man after God's own heart, and then what we can apply into our own lives today. We want to see how his life, whether the good things that he was doing that were good and that were a good pursuit of God's heart, maybe mistakes that he made, how we can avoid those mistakes. But we always wanted to, to take a look at the scripture and then make it practical, apply it into our lives today. And today, if you're looking at the notes, you can see the title of the message is on allies just like us. Uh, the beginning of sort of this discussion talks about the fact that everyone, all of us, need somebody, right? And you might recognize these famous duos. We've got Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock. We've got Mulder and Scully. We've got Mork and Mindy. We've got Lilo and Stitch. And we all recognize the power that comes from having an ally. And certainly this was true for young David. Remember, he was anointed and chosen by God to be king when he was just a child. And, and yet things didn't happen for him right away. If you were here last week, um, Pastor Phil walked us through this incredible episode in young David's life when he took the battlefield against the giant named Goliath. And you might remember that, that incredible, victorious, you know, heart-pounding kind of a scenario where Goliath says, am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? And he says this because David looked like a stick, but it was Goliath who got stuck. And David, of course, slung his sling and the rock went in Goliath's forehead. David ran over, grabbed Goliath's own sword, chopped off Goliath's own head, and then said, you mad, bro? Following God has never been more brave-like than it was with David. And this idea of David, right, instantly in the land of Israel, David had become a hero, and his legend grew, and his action figure was in all of the Happy Meals sold in Jerusalem, and they were... They were making top 40 songs filled with hyperbole about David. In fact, this is the first verse in the scripture here, 1 Samuel 18, 7. Saul has killed his thousands, the townspeople sang, and David his ten thousands, right? Now, this was a really catchy tune. It caught on quick. Everyone was singing it, but King Saul, not so much a fan of this tune, And he was not a fan of this tune because he was the king, and he thought they should be singing songs like that about him with the higher number of kills here, etc. And and this became some murderously jealous fixation that King Saul had, and he ended up expending all kinds of human resources, all kinds of taxpayers' money on a program, a 10-year program, by the way, to eliminate David as a rival of his. 
And, and, and there's this other character. It, it, so it's not King Saul. Here's young David. There's one other character in this story uh, today, and it's Jonathan. Jonathan is King Saul's son, but he's a very, very different kind of a person than King Saul was. He's a courageous warrior in his own right. He commands one-third of Saul's entire army. And God called Jonathan specifically to be David's minister of encouragement. Look at this scenario when they first meet here. Uh, 1 Samuel 18, starting in verse 1, it says, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. So as you look at that passage, you see this is incredible to see this instant friendship and camaraderie that takes place between Jonathan and David. When they meet, instantly Jonathan loves this guy as he loves himself. There's this really rich and deep friendship that's formed instantly. It's a supernatural God kind of a thing. And then to our context, it's a little weird that Jonathan immediately begins to disrobe himself, right? That he begins to take off his robe, and oh, here's my tunic, oh, take my belt, take my sword. Like he's just giving him all his clothes. It, it, it's a little bit different. The loose analogy in our day and age would be how in the military there are certain insignias. There are certain things that are worn on the uniform that communicate rank. And so you salute the stars or the bars because you're saluting these, the officer's insignia. And so when Jonathan's giving David his robe, his tunic, his sword, he's giving him these symbols of honor and respect within the kingdom of Israel. And, and what Jonathan's really doing is, is Jonathan's saying, I see you, and I love you as a brother, I love you as an equal, and then Jonathan, this is just why I think it's supernatural, he's saying, David, you must become greater, and I must become lesser. It's the same heart that John the baptizer has when he sees Jesus about a thousand years after this event takes place. And somehow Jonathan understood and affirmed that David would be the next king, which meant that he, Jonathan himself, would not be the next king. And, and, and this is so unusual and so powerful that Jonathan instantly becomes an ally for young David. He offers him this gesture of trust. He acknowledges that God has a bigger plan ahead. And, and this is a gesture of unselfishness that builds up David and encourages him in the Lord. So look at this. First Thessalonians 5.11. We are challenged to encourage each other. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Overlake, if you're filling in the blanks, here is the first mark of an ally. An ally seeks to encourage. We seek to encourage one another, to exhort one another, comfort one another, pour courage into one another. And Jonathan becomes this for David. Dr. Larry Crabb says, the deepest urge of every human heart is to be with someone who delights in us. Think about that for a moment. Who do you delight in? Maybe it's your children. Do your children know that you delight in them? 
Maybe it's your grandkids. Do your grandkids know that you delight in them? How about a spouse? Maybe there's, there's one or two trusted friends in your world that you truly delight in. That you, they know that, and it's a mutual kind of thing, this mutual delight. I was sharing that thought with a friend of mine here on staff, and he said, you know, delight is a weird word for dudes. So maybe that word's not resonating with your heart. Maybe you want to, you know, uh, somebody you're totally stoked to hang out with. Somebody you're absolutely pumped to be with. No, these are dumb. Whatever word works for you, right? This idea of encouragement for one another. Uh, Walter Winchell says, a real friend is one who walks in when the rest of the world walks out. Now, this is where we see encouragement is vital. And God knew that David needed that kind of encouragement because of what he was about to go through when it came to the jealousy of King Saul. So for the first time in in 1 Samuel 18, verse 17, if you're kind of going through this saga, for the first time, we see King Saul try to kill David. And what he does is he sends David off into battle against the Philistines, and he promises David, hey, David, you go to battle, and you come back victorious, you can marry my daughter, Mirab. And so David goes off, and he fights the Philistines, just like King Saul said. He comes back alive, which was disappointing to Saul, and and Saul marries his daughter off to some other young stud. That's the first time Saul tries to kill David. The second time Saul tries to kill David, same chapter, Um, Saul has another daughter named Michal, and Michal is actually kind of head over heels for David already. She's got a poster of King David up on her ceiling right next to her new kids on the Casbah poster right there. (laughs) And and so Michal's already head over heels for David, so Saul notices this. He says, David, you can marry my daughter Michal if you go off and come back with a hundred Philistine foreskins because Saul just anticipated the Philistines were not interested in being circumcised by David, and and he figured that they'd put up a fight, and that would end David's life. And so David, by the way, this is just in the Bible. I'm not trying to be vulgar on purpose. It's just in the text. You can read it. So David goes off. This is not a joke. Please read about it yourself. He comes back. 200 foreskins he brings to King Saul. And I could just imagine that scene. David, like, throws the bag over and says, no, really, count them. Saul's like, I trust you. That's cool. Uh, But he marries Michal. And and so he, he, again, Saul tries to kill him. Uh, David comes back victorious. David marries Michal and gains the worst father-in-law in history. Because three more times, we see it in uh, 1 Samuel 19, verse 9. David is, he's, he's attacked by Saul. Saul tries to kill him a third time. Third time's the charm, not for Saul. Uh, 1 Samuel 19, 11, Saul tries to kill him the fourth time. 1 Samuel 19, 19, Saul tries to kill David a fifth time. There's this incredible fixation in Saul's mind. And, and in the midst of that, in 1 Samuel 19, verses 1 through 7, we see a momentary reprieve from this death threat hanging over David's head. And not surprisingly, that relief comes from his friend, Jonathan, the ally of his soul. Let's go ahead and read this. 
starting First uh, Samuel 19, starting in verse 1. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan was very fond of David and warned him, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell him what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you. And what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why, then, would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before. What's amazing about this is Jonathan stands in the gap for David. Jonathan argues on his behalf, and he does it with skill. He cites David's victories. He points out the good things that David has done that have benefited Saul and the kingdom of Israel. He said, you used to be glad when David succeeded. So what has changed? And I just want to encourage you in this, that it can be so difficult in our lives today to serve Jesus. And to be faithful in our service to Jesus. There there are so many things against us in culture. There's a battle that's raging spiritually all around us. And in the midst of that kind of situation where where we can be disheartened, where we can be beat down, where we feel like we might not be, uh, be able to advance as quickly as possible, the ally of our soul is so essential. This is why we need to be encouragement to one another, why why we need to receive encouragement from our brothers and our sisters. I've got a friend and his wife here at Overlake, and they began a pattern about 10 years ago of writing me little postcards of encouragement. This is, and I'm not going to call them out, I don't want to embarrass them, but about once a month. I receive something in the mail, and it's, it's an encouragement from them. It's either a prayer or it's something that they have noticed, some, something about a sermon that challenged or touched them. And, and it's just this incredible paradigm of encouragement that they have decided to be for me. And it makes all the difference, friends. It makes all the difference to have somebody pouring courage into you. And I I just want you to know, the kingdom of God would be so much more attractive if encouragement was one of the markers that all Jesus' followers were known by. If they know that we're a follower of Jesus and we're so encouraging, that's the first thought that comes to mind when somebody thinks about you. That would be a beautiful, beautiful thing. I'm going to let you read on your own 1 Samuel chapter 20. Because the first 17 verses of that chapter, it's a beautiful story about how Jonathan helps David escape, how he gives him good information, how he helps him uh, thwart Saul's plan to kill him, and it costs Jonathan greatly. As you read through that chapter, I want you to notice that Jonathan, he, he doesn't come away unscathed. The first thing we see is that Saul gets frustrated with his own son, and he knows that he's trying to help David escape, and so he verbally abuses his son, Jonathan. This is a really poor parenting moment. If you're reading through the Bible, and you're reading what Saul says to Jonathan, uh, that's not what you should apply in your own home, okay? 
It's something that we would avoid. And, and so Saul verbally abuses Jonathan. And then in the next moment, he picks up a spear and he hurls it against the wall trying to kill his own son. That's also a bad parenting moment. And the one thing I think that as you read through these couple of chapters, what you'll see, uh, sort of the overarching truth in all of this is Saul is no good with the spear. Okay, I can just imagine, you know, Saul throws the spear at Jonathan and Jonathan's like, Dad, geez, I'm over here. Man, you are slipping, you know, and like, like nobody, safest place to be apparently uh, when Saul's throwing a spear is the target because, uh, you know, he's hitting everyone else. I should get back to the notes. The... Um, <laughs> The thing that, that I want you to see, though, is that Jonathan is the one who, he's the one who's sacrificing in all of this. And then he goes and he warns David. I want you to look at this passage here. This is the last time, really, that they're together. It says, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, go in peace. For we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to the town. Amen. Now, as I read through these chapters, I honestly don't know how a man like Saul has a son like Jonathan. It's just this amazing thing that God has produced in Jonathan's character. So selfless, so courageous, so noble, so wise, so godly. He's a true ally to David. And you and I, we need to develop allies in our lives. We, we need to embrace this kind of character that Jonathan had. And then we also need to be willing to receive this kind of care so that, so that there can be others. God builds allies for us as well. And, and I would say the best way to find an ally is to become one. So let me give you a few more ideas for how to be an ally. The next fill-in is an ally builds into potential. An ally sees and builds into potential. And again, this is where Jonathan, I think, had insight from God. What he just knew, you need to build into the potential of this young man, David. So I think it begins with us asking a question, Lord, who do I need to build into their potential? Who is it in my world? Maybe it's somebody in my office. Maybe it's somebody in my classroom. Maybe, maybe it's just you know, one of my children or a neighbor kid that keeps coming over to the house. And, and there's an opportunity to build into potential. Who is it that God's bringing into your life to build into their potential? And you know, the funny thing about this is, I was, again, I was talking to our creative team about it this week. I think that I am more in need of this today than I was even in earlier years in ministry. I've been in ministry for 26 years now. But I think I'm more in need of people seeing strengths, drawing out potential, seeing what is good, what's honorable, and pulling those things out more now than ever. Hallelujah. You know, Scripture says this, 1 Thessalonians 2.8, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. We shared with you not only God's good truth. We shared with you not only God's good future. We shared with you not only God's good hope, but you were valuable enough to me to share my life with as well. This is a way that we build into potential. And so I want you to really just ask the Lord, Lord, who is a brother or sister? 
that I could begin to speak life and potential into, that I could begin to, to see the good things that you've already planted in them and to help draw those things out, encourage those things into more fruition. The next fill-in is this. An ally protects a heart. Protection is a part of being an ally. This is true geopolitically, but it's also true in terms of our relationship with one another. I was talking to Pastor Pat this week. There were over 1,200 overlakers and life groups and support groups. We're very excited about launching this back uh, up in the fall. But because one of the things that we see is there's this mutual support and protection that happens when we intentionally invest into spiritual friendships. The scripture says this in Ecclesiastes 4.9, two are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. And so what do we see with Jonathan? We see Jonathan protecting David. We see Jonathan going to bat for David. We see Jonathan careful and protecting, protective of his heart, right? We, we see Jonathan willing to say, hey, I've got your back. I will take a bullet for you. One, one of the guys in my life, my buddy Craig's kind of like this, where he just incredible support, incredible encouragement. But he lets me know, hey, man, I've got your back. So again, I want to ask, who could you be like that for? I want all of you to have that person in your life, but it begins by us saying, who can we be like that for? Who can we pour protection into? Who can we care about their heart? I ran a marathon a few years ago with a buddy of mine named Jay. And our, I, I didn't have much of a goal, but I did want to, to make it a, a personal best. And since I had only run one marathon before, it was easy to go after a personal best. And, and so uh, my buddy Jay and I, we had trained a little bit, and we began to run. It was the Portland Rock and Roll. And we were running the Portland Marathon. And, and we came up with a mantra that as soon as the muscles started to ache and as soon as the lungs started to feel that they were on fire a little bit, that we would start to say this mantra to ourselves. And we said it again and again and again. There is no pain. There is only joy. Now, it was a lie. <laughs> there was quite a lot of pain that was happening as we were running this marathon. And, and yet, what we would do is we would speak this, what I would call, a potential truth. We would, we would speak this protective truth over one another that instead of defining what we were experiencing as pain, we were going to define what we were experiencing as joy together. There is no pain. There is only joy. And what's interesting about it is, is both of us, we, we didn't just get our PR. We, we smashed our, our personal best because we were able to be that kind of protective encouragement to one another as we ran. You might want to write that down, by the way, if you're a runner. There is no pain. There is only joy. It's the best lie you will ever repeat to yourself, and, and it might be helpful. Here's the last fill-in. An ally sacrifices for another. An ally sacrifices for another. We clearly see this in Jonathan. You know, sincere love often includes personal sacrifice. And the cost to Jonathan was great. He, he was verbally assaulted by his dad. He was he, uh, physically assaulted. Um, didn't, didn't hurt him, but he, Saul wanted to kill him. And then it cost him, I, I would say, what, what's so incredible to our minds to think about, it cost him the kingship. 
Jonathan supported the kingship of David knowing that the cost would be that he would not be king. You do realize that most often what happened is that kings would pass the kingship to their sons. Jonathan was the recipient of the kingdom, and yet he offered the entire thing to David because of his love for David because he was an ally, and an ally often sacrifices for another. And in doing so, I hope that you see that Jonathan really does give us a picture of the heart of Jesus. Because Jesus is like this. Jesus so clearly loves us that he is willing to sacrifice for us. Jesus is the only one that I know of who teaches these truths, who professes these as truths and challenges and then models them perfectly. When Jesus says this, he says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And he said that, and just hours later, he was modeling it by willingly going to the cross of Calvary for your sake and for mine. A true friend, right? This is what an ally looks like, to lay down one's life for one's friends. I just want to tell you that David would not have made it without Jonathan. David could not have been King David if there was no Jonathan supporting him, encouraging him, protecting him, sacrificing for him. And so I just want to say you need a Jonathan in your life, and you can be a Jonathan for someone else. I pray that all of us would become an ally in someone else's life. But I want to say, friends, most clearly today, the ally that you need the most is Jesus. Jesus is the perfect model for everything we've been talking about today. Jesus is is a beautiful picture of love and encouragement for your soul. Jesus is the one who knows every bit of potential within you and seeks to draw all of that out of you so that you might live the most abundant life you possibly can live. Jesus sees that in you. He wants to draw that out of you. He builds you up. He pours courage into you. And then Jesus absolutely sacrifices for you. Friend, the ally that you need is the person of Jesus. You need the Lord. And what's interesting is that David, in his friendship with Jonathan, that, that, that alliance often drew them back to the person of the Lord. David knew this, and he wrote about it in his Psalms. And this is that last verse I put on your outline. It's from Psalm 144. When David says, praise the Lord who is my rock. Look at this. He trains my hands for war. He gives my fingers skill for battle. He is my, say it with me, loving ally and my fortress, my tower of safety and my rescuer. Would you circle the phrase loving ally? You see, I want us to do it together. I want us to be allies for one another. But we cannot forget that Jesus is our loving ally. That makes everything better and different. A story that I'll close with. When I was, uh, I was maybe seven or eight years old, my family was camping out at a, uh, on the edge of a river, and I was there with my buddy. He was an ally of my young heart. His name was Timmy Rogers. And Timmy and I had this idea that we were going to build a fort together, and, and it was you know, elaborately constructed. We were going to use a picnic table, and we were going to put logs up and lean them against this picnic table and all over this picnic table, and then use tarps, and it would be our fort underneath there. And so we start moving some of the logs that we could find, and we get them up there. And, 
And then we started getting bigger and bigger, you know, kind of logs and realized we didn't have the strength to lift those. So we hunted around. We actually found an old oven grate. So we used that as a ramp and we were trying to push these logs up on the top. It doesn't make a lot of sense, I know. But I remember we had this idea, we're going to put this big, big log up on the top of the thing, and we're using this oven grade. We're trying to push this log up the grade. We're, we're pushing, and we're pushing, and we're sweating, and we're getting exhausted, and we're failing. It's going up halfway, and then back down, and, and you know, we, tr- we struggled for a long time, like two, three minutes, uh, <laughs> I'm sure. And then I remember looking over, and my dad was just standing there smiling, watching us. And he said, why didn't you guys use all your strength? And I'm like, Dad, I, I did, you know, and I'm holding up my toothpick arms. Like, look, like I, everything I had, you know, we were giving it all. And he said, you didn't use all your strength because you didn't ask me. And so he said, Dad, would you help? And what was impossible for the two of us was short work with the three of us. Amen. And do you see that the greatest ally that you could have is an ally that would point you to the ally of your soul, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in your midst. Right? Jesus is the one who can make... Uh, molehills out of mountains. He's the one who, who can make uh, the, the sea dry so that we can walk right through. Jesus is the one who is the ally of our soul. So friends, he's the one that we need to go to. So right now what I want to do is I want to invite you to stand and I want to invite you to sing praise to the ally of your soul, Jesus. And you'll notice that the theme of this song that we sing is the song of surrender, that we surrender before the Lord asking him to be our ally. Let's...